Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Our scripture reading will be in the book of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse number 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me, in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Well, we are back to our journey with Jesus, looking at the book of Luke. We've been away from this for a few weeks. You guys can be seated. I'm sorry. Uh, We've been away from this for the last few weeks, but we're going to jump back into it here. And I remember that the last time we were in Luke, we looked at verses 5 through 10 of this chapter, and we were introduced to this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were both righteous people. They were serving God. Zacharias was a priest serving in the temple at the time when this story takes place. And uh, one of these days that Zechariah was serving, he was chosen by casting of lots to give the incense in the temple. You'll remember uh, that twice a day in the temple, incense was offered by a priest, and the rest of the people would stand outside and pray while they were waiting for the priest to finish putting the incense on the altar and then come out. And the priest chosen to offer incense in this case was Zacharias. He would choose two other priests to go with him into the holy place. One would set the coals on the altar and the other would prepare the incense. And then they would both leave when, they, when their duties were done and Zacharias would be alone in the holy place. 
Zacharias was expected then to place the incense on the altar and offer a prayer to God on behalf of Israel. And then he was expected to leave the holy place, go back to the people outside, and basically offer a prayer or a benediction to them. And it's during this time when Zacharias was alone in the holy place, as he's offering the incense, that an angel appears to him. And that's what we'll be focusing in on this morning. So we'll pick up the story in verse 11, where Zacharias is alone in the holy place in the temple. He's offering incense, and the angel appears. It says in verse 11, There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Literally, fear gripped him or attacked him, is what the Greek says. He was freaked out by the sight of this angel. Have you ever thought that you were alone in a room, and then you realized you're not? And that panic that sets in for some reason, uh, it might not necessarily be an enemy that's there. It's just you didn't know somebody was there. I do this to my wife on a regular basis. Uh, so you guys know that I, I work through the night, and so my sleep schedule is kind of weird. I wake up sometime in the early afternoon normally. And uh, so a few weeks ago, Catherine is cooking in the kitchen, and we have a mirror on the wall right next to there. And so she's, I think she were cooking, something like that. She's in the kitchen, and I had just woken up, and I didn't realize how quiet I was being. So I came up to give my wife a hug, and a, you must have just turned at the wrong moment and seen in the mirror. And there I am standing like two feet away from her. She had no idea I was there and she just freaked out. So Zacharias has, has an experience sort of like that, compounded with the fact that this wasn't just a person that was in the room, but an angel of the Lord. And so it's understandable why he would be frightened by this. And uh, the angel says to Zacharias, don't be afraid. Fear not, Zacharias. This is like, they must learn this at angel school that you need to say this to humans. Because every time an angel appears in the Bible, that's like the first thing they say is don't be afraid. I think it's step one to an angel getting its wings. I don't know. You all know the final step to getting the wings is ringing a bell, right? (laughs) But I digress. So Luke 1, verse uh, 13, the angel tells Zacharias why he doesn't need to fear. He says, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. So he says, You don't have to be afraid because your prayer has been heard. And you're going to have a son. You don't need to be afraid of me because I'm bringing you good news. So what prayer is the angel referring to? That's interesting. He says, your prayer has been heard. It could be talking about the prayer of Zacharias and Elizabeth for a child, but that seems unlikely because if you wait later in the chapter, you'll find out that the angel tells him you're going to have a son and he doesn't even believe him. So it doesn't seem like Zacharias and Elizabeth were still praying, you know, into their 60s, 70s, or 80s, however old they are. Uh, they're not likely praying for a child still. It seems that they've given up all hope of that. More likely, the prayer that's been answered is the one that Zacharias has just offered. Remember, he's in the temple in the holy place, putting the incense on the altar, and he's offering a prayer on behalf of Israel. Normally, this would be something like uh, a prayer for the salvation of Israel, for the coming of the Messiah, something along those lines. And the angel appears to him and says, your prayer has been heard, right as he's offering it. Wouldn't you love to have an answer to prayer like that? where an angel comes down and immediately says, I, I just heard what you said, you know, as, you're, as the words are leaving your lips, Zacharias gets the answer. The angel continues by telling Zacharias that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son named John, and this son would be the one to bring about a national revival and usher in the long-awaited Messiah. And this seems to be a bonus blessing. This wasn't the answer to the prayer. You'll notice he says there uh, the word and. He says, your prayer's been heard, and you're going to have a son. This is an additional blessing. 
So the son born to Zacharias would be a bonus blessing in addition to the answer of prayer for the redemption of Israel. So the answer to prayer is verse 17, which is the coming of the Messiah. Messiah is coming, the angel tells him. Zechariah's son John would be the one who would prepare the way for the blessing prayed for and granted. God was bringing in the long-awaited Messiah to Israel while simultaneously blessing Zacharias and Elizabeth with a child. And next, starting in verse 14, you'll see the angel gives uh, a description of what John would be like. Uh, First he says, Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. So many people, including Zacharias and Elizabeth, are going to rejoice at the coming of John the Baptist both because of the obvious miracle that this elderly couple has been given a child, but also the mission of John the Baptist. People have been waiting for 400 years for Malachi's prophecy to be fulfilled. And now suddenly John is here. You see in verse 15 a further reason. He says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. So many will rejoice because or for he will be great in God's sight. John the Baptist was going to be an important person in the work of God in the world. Remember Jesus said of John's greatness, among those born of women, none is greater than John. John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets, and he was the one who would usher in the kingdom of God through the coming Messiah. And what made John so great in the sight of God was the fact that John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus. We, we see this first in uh, John chapter 1, verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, speaking of Jesus, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. A little further down in the chapter, the text says, uh, Speaking of Jesus, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 26, John answered and said, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethbara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And dropping down to one last place in verse 34 of the chapter, it says, I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. The next day after, John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So John the Baptist, he led many people to repent of their sins. And he he had disciples, people who followed him around and listened to his teaching, and they were spreading the same message as John. And here John points them to Jesus and says, That's the Lamb of God, now go follow him. And that's what made John so great. He made disciples of Jesus. He he caused people to repent of their sins, and then he pointed them to the Son of God. And that's what makes John so great in the sight of God. We see in verse 15, He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. The angel mentions that John is not to drink any wine nor strong drink, which may be a reference to a Nazarite vow. 
Uh, in Numbers chapter 6, we're given this introduction to the Nazarite vow. It says, Speak to the children, uh, to the people of Israel, and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and he shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. Now, there's more to being a Nazarite than just this. You'll remember that uh, Samson, of course, is the one person in the Old Testament we know for sure was Nazarite. Samuel may have been as well, but Samson, we know, it, this text specifically says he was. And so a part of the Nazarite vow was not drinking any sort of wine or even grape juice. Uh, it was also, you know, you couldn't cut your hair, you just let it grow. And there were other things that were a part of that that aren't mentioned here. So it's possibly that it's possible that John the Baptist was a Nazarite, or it, it may be that the prohibition from wine was simply because John was set apart for a special service to the Lord. And you see the contrast in verse 15. He was not to drink wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the angel goes on to say that he'd be filled with the Spirit even before he's born. John was not to drink wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's very similar to what we see in Ephesians 5.18, where we are commanded, do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So you see the same contrast there. We see later in the chapter a fulfillment of what is said here about John being filled with the Spirit while in his mother's womb. And later in the chapter when Elizabeth meets with Mary, John the Baptist actually leaps in her womb. Some sort of kicking motion that basically was John the Baptist pointing to uh, the Messiah, even while he was in Mary's womb. So John wouldn't be like the rest of the world around him. He was to be separate because God had a special mission for him. And this mission is stated by the angel beginning in verse 16, where it says, Many of the children of Israel shall he, John the Baptist, turn to the Lord their God. John would bring about a revival in Israel. People who had strayed from following the Lord would repent at his preaching. And this was a, a typical task of an Old Testament prophet. The, the angel even links John here to an Old Testament prophet in verse 17. He says, He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And to understand what's happening here, we need to look at a couple of prophecies about John the Baptist in the book of Malachi. Beginning with Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So notice, uh, God is speaking through the prophet Malachi, and he says, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So after the messenger, God himself is coming. Continuing on, it says, The, the Lord whom ye seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom ye delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So God says that he's sending this messenger, and after the messenger has prepared the way, God himself would appear. At the end of Malachi's uh, prophecy, Malachi chapter 4, these are actually the last two verses of our Old Testament. Malachi says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So this last prophecy of the final prophet of the Hebrew Bible says that Elijah was going to come and prepare the way for the coming of God himself. And he was going to do this by bringing about repentance and a restoration of family relationships. You see there how it talks about children and fathers being reconciled. This is what John the Baptist's mission was. He was preaching repentance. 
And when people repent and true conversion takes place, there's a revival in loving, harmonious relationships with those around you. Families would be reconciled. Disobedient ones would repent, as Luke says, and live in righteousness. And it's all to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And this prophecy had been given 400 years prior to John the Baptist's birth. God had promised through Malachi that this messenger would come. And now in our text, we see that the fulfillment of that promise in Luke chapter 1. So Malachi had promised that this Elijah-like messenger was coming. And Gabriel picks up right on this theme where he says to to Zacharias that John will be like Elijah. He's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist will have the same mission as Elijah did in the book of 1 Kings. You remember the famous story of Elijah that we all remember him for is on Mount Carmel when he calls down fire from heaven to basically devour this sacrifice on the mountain. And we'll see here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, this is the prayer of Elijah during that event. When Elijah is calling down fire from heaven, here's what he says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. So Elijah and John had the same mission, to turn the hearts of the people back to God. It's interesting also, as a side note, that John the Baptist and Elijah apparently looked similar and they they dressed similarly. We see in Matthew chapter 3 that John is described as wearing a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And if you compare that with the description of Elijah in 2 Kings 1, it says that he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. So apparently there was even some sort of resemblance just in the way that they dressed. So John the Baptist was an Elijah-like prophet, both in his appearance and in his mission, to preach repentance and to cause God's people to serve him again. John will cause people to turn from sin to the attitude of the righteous, which is to seek and submit to the will of God. And we learn here a, a lesson that can be applied to us, that the people who are prepared For the Lord's arrival are those who are living righteously and in peace with those around them. Verse 17, it goes on to say that he was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John will prepare people for the Messiah's coming by preaching repentance, and then he'll announce the arrival of the Messiah. So you see how everything in John's ministry is pointing to Jesus. Everything about John is just pointing to the one who's coming after him. And notice at the beginning of verse 17, it says, John will go before him. So who's the him? The pronoun is referring back to the previous verse where the antecedent is clearly God. Because God says, John's going to come, I'm going to send John, and then he's going to go before him, which is God. So John comes and prepares the people for the arrival of God himself. And of course, we know this is talking about Jesus. So even in this announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, the, ma- the angel makes very clear the deity of Christ. The end of verse 17, John's ministry is one of preparing people for the coming of, of Christ. He's often called the forerunner to Christ. He's announcing the arrival of the Messiah, and he's preparing people to accept him when he does come. This reminded me of uh, when I was in Bible college, something that we did on our bus route. We had a bus route in Chicago where we pick people up and bring them to church. And uh, what we would do is before the bus arrived at people's houses, we would usually send either a car or somebody would walk and go to each stop to make sure that the people were ready. Because invariably, if you didn't do this, you know, the bus had a set schedule in order to make it to church on time. Uh, And so if you go to somebody's house and the kid, you know, can't find his shoe, 
you're going to be sitting there waiting for 15 minutes and then the bus ends up late and you get in trouble and all that. So what we would do is we'd go ahead of the bus and go to each stop and tell everybody, hey, the bus is on its way. It's going to be here at this time. And we'd make sure that everybody was ready ahead of time. This is kind of what John's doing here. He's telling everybody, get ready. The Messiah is coming. So the angel's message to Zechariah is, don't be afraid. I come with good news. Your prayer has been heard and you will have a son named John. You and many others will rejoice at his coming because he will be great in God's sight, because he will bring about a national revival and repentance, and because he will be announcing the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. Verse 18, we get Zechariah's response to this news. Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife, well stricken in years. How shall I know this? I'm an old man, Zechariah said. My wife, she's even older. It's interesting to me that Zacharias is getting this message from an angel, and yet he can't accept the fact that it's true. Like, it seems to me that if an angel appeared to me and was telling me I'm going to have a child, my first inclination would probably be to believe him. But Zacharias needs more evidence. He He feels that his age is too great an obstacle for this to happen. He says, I am old. Look at how the angel responds in verse 19. I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Zacharias raises the objection, I am old, and the angel responds, I am Gabriel. And he uses the, the participle form for standing there. It means, I am Gabriel, the one standing before the presence of God. In other words, Gabriel is saying, this message is, I didn't come up with this. This is from God. And so to doubt my message and my words is to doubt the words of God. I'm Gabriel. I stand in God's presence, and he sent me with this message to you. The name Gabriel means man of God, by the way. That's, it's just a, basically Gabriel is the messenger of God. Throughout the Bible, we see that Gabriel, his main activity is to bring messages to people directly from God. So in doubting the truthfulness of what Gabriel is saying, Zacharias is ultimately doubting the truthfulness of God's words. And so Zacharias seems to be asking for some sort of sign. He says, how shall I know this? Can you give me something more than just your word, Gabriel? And he gets his sign, although I'm sure it's not what he was looking for. We see in verse 20, Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that, that, that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. You need a sign more than an angel of God telling you, wish granted, you can't talk now. And so Luke then transitions back outside of the holy place to the people who are waiting for Zacharias to come out. See this in verse 21. The people were waiting uh, for Zacharias, and they marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. So they're waiting for Zacharias to come out, and they're expecting uh, the typical benediction and prayer that the the priest would give. And the Talmud, interestingly, it, it states that when a priest enters the holy place, he was supposed to do his duties as quickly as possible and get back outside because otherwise it would cause anxiety in the people. It was feared that if someone was in the holy place, they might incur God's displeasure and be killed because of some sin that they committed. If they, if they are offering this incense and they didn't do it just right, like you remember Nahab and Abihu in the Old Testament, they're struck by God. They're, they're killed on the spot. And so while it was a great honor to enter the presence of God in the temple, it was also a little bit scary And so this is why the laws basically had the priests do their duties as quickly as possible and get back outside. And so the people here that are wondering why it's taking him so long, 
it's implied that there's a little bit of fear. They're kind of wondering what's going on in there. This is not normal. He finally comes out and Zacharias is unable to speak. And somehow they perceive that he's seen a vision. I don't know if maybe it was just this crazy look on his face. Uh, I, I don't know what it was. The text doesn't really tell us. But they, they somehow figured out that Zacharias had seen a vision in the temple. And the story concludes with Gabriel's message coming to fruition. We see this in verse 23. It came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Now, we don't know why Elizabeth secluded herself for five months. Luke doesn't tell us. There's all sorts of theories about this. Commentators give all these reasons, but ultimately we don't know. But the best thing that I can see, the best uh, possible reason that I can find here is that maybe she wanted to just seclude herself and spend some time praising the Lord. It seems to be that that may have been indicated there in those verses. That she spent this time praising God for for giving her this child and for taking away her disgrace among people. God could have sent John the Baptist through many people, but he looked with favor upon Elizabeth and chose her to be the parent of this great man. Thus, God accomplished his plan of sending the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, while at the same time blessing a faithful couple with a son. This text is all about God sending uh, John the Baptist, this forerunner to the Messiah, John who would preach repentance and cause Israel to turn back to God. Family relationships and righteousness would be restored. And it's all to prepare the way for the coming of God. But within this cosmic, salvific outworking of God's plan is a personal story of a simple couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And even as God is accomplishing his plans, his big plans, he still sees fit to bless this couple. He didn't have to do it this way. He could have had John born in a normal family, but he chose to bless Elizabeth and Zacharias. One of my favorite commentators said this, John may have a special role for Israel, but this child also met a personal need for Elizabeth. So what's the point? What's the point of this text? How are we supposed to apply this and what are we supposed to learn from this? And as always, when we do our interpretations here, we should be trying to draw our applications out of what the text, out of what the author intended when he gave the text. And so I think the lesson that God taught Zacharias through this event is to believe the promises of God. Trust that God will do what he says. It's interesting. There's actually two, two promises that God's making good on here in this passage, right? We have the promise of God through the, the prophet Malachi 400 years ago where he says, Messiah is coming, and then first, I'm going to send Elijah, my messenger. And 400 years later, God makes good on that promise. And in the midst of his doing so, he promises to Zacharias in our text that he's going to be the father of that messenger. And even though Zacharias and his wife were old, that didn't keep God from doing what he had promised. After 400 years, perhaps people were doubting that God would keep his word and send that, that messenger and the Messiah. And certainly we see in our text that Zacharias doubted that God would keep his word and cause him and Elizabeth to have this child. Yet God kept both promises. When it seems like there's no way God can do it, he still does as he promised. When time has passed and it seems like God's forgotten his promise, we can learn from this text that God does keep his promises. And in this story, we see the fulfillment of God's promise to Malachi and Zacharias that he was sending John the Baptist. This is the last promise, interestingly, of the Old Testament, and it's the first promise of the New Testament. Malachi ends with this promise, and, and Luke's gospel begins with it. 
So God's promise to Israel through Malachi and God's promise to Zacharias through Gabriel are both fulfilled here in verse 25. So we're instructed through the example of Zacharias to believe the promises of God. Don't doubt God's words. So the question is, what promises do we struggle to believe? Because God hasn't told us all that we're going to have a child who's the the forerunner to the Messiah. But God has given us uh, many promises that we struggle to accept. Here's a few that came to mind for me. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Do you believe that the negative circumstances of your life are accomplishing God's good purposes and are making you more like Christ? When bad things happen, do we think that's just bad luck and random events, or do we trust the promise of God that he is working these things together for good? Another promise is First uh, John 5. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Do you believe that God hears and answers prayers? Or maybe, maybe you're watching this online and you're not even sure if you buy into Christianity. You're not sure what you think of the promise of God of eternal life offered through Christ. Consider what Paul says in Titus chapter 1, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Do you believe the promise of God that you can have your sins forgiven and live forever? Titus mentions here it's impossible for God to lie. And he has promised this from eternity past. How much more of a firm foundation can you possibly have? So there are some difficult promises for sure in the Bible that we struggle to believe. But if we believe that the Bible is the word of God and God always keeps his promises, then we can trust that God will keep his promises to us. I got thinking this week about what causes people to break promises. You know, we've all had people break promises to us. We've all probably broken promises to other people. But what is it that causes us to break promises? And I thought of three reasons that people don't make good on a promise. Number one, they forget. Right? People promise to do things and then they forget all about it. They'll, they'll say, I'm going to do this thing or I'm not going to do this thing or whatever it might be. And then it just slips their mind. And so they don't keep their promise. Number two, people don't keep their promise because they aren't able to keep it uh, because of events beyond their control. You might promise something to someone and then some unforeseen circumstance comes upon you and it prevents you from being able to keep that promise. And then number three, people intentionally break a promise, right? So there's, there's some people, and maybe we've all done this at times as well, where we promise something with absolutely no intention of doing it. So these are three reasons that people break promises. None of these are applicable to God. An omniscient God can't forget what he promised. A sovereign God is never unable to keep a promise because of events beyond his control. And a holy God cannot lie. So if God is sinless, then he can't promise deceitfully with no intention of keeping it. And if God is in control of all things and he sees the end from the beginning, he's perfectly just and righteous, then if he promises us something, we can count on it. Ultimately, to doubt the promises of God is to doubt the character of God. We're either saying God isn't really good or God isn't really God. He's not really in control. We should take heed to the example of Zacharias and never doubt the promises of God. We'll read through our text one more time, starting verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, 
and they both were now well stricken in years. It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach among men. God always keeps his promises. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.